the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast, the year in review edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Scott Allen and Dan Soman are both here live and in person. It's a roundtable edition to finish off 2023. We're going to run through pretty much the major sports, uh, all the greatest hits, the uh, the top players, the most viewed players on Spot Track. Um, in terms of analytics and all the trending, and then some favorites, basically, uh, you know, rookie contracts, trades, transactions, free agency, extensions, storylines, maybe some bold predictions for 2024. Uh, I think this is maybe our 10th or so annual doing this. It's been a while doing this thing, and it's always one of my favorite episodes of the year. Guys, welcome. I think I want to start with baseball. We'll, uh, we'll build up the momentum a little bit. Not that baseball didn't have a year. They certainly did. And there's certainly one word associated with that year that's going to carry into next year and maybe a few more years after that. Your overall thoughts on the 2023 Major League Baseball season as we kind of ramp into the offseason now? Well, to start, I'm a little bit surprised at um, the slowness of free agency yeah. in this offseason. But um, in terms of coming off last year, I think... Um, <clears throat> It was nice to see parity in the form of um, the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, um, two smaller market teams making it into the World Series, especially now um, where we're seeing a super team sort of built mm-hmm. right before our eyes um, in the Dodgers. So um, I, I thought the parity amongst um, the league last year was really interesting. And going forward, hopefully um, we can kind of... I think most, you know above average fans feel that way. I thought it was a good year and I, and I liked the finish line. I thought it was a really interesting world series, especially in the business that we do. You kind of had the David and Goliath there, right? The, the Rangers sort of bought their way to where, you know, to that world series ring. And then the Dodgers basically said, here, hold my beer. We're going to do it our way now. And Arizona completely backwards, self-built, self-drafted manufactured team that really overachieved maybe two years early and got themselves to the finish line. I, I loved it. Uh, you know, Scott, I don't think the average fan was all in, you know, I, I think when the Met, when the Mets are good, well, the Mets being bad was probably good for baseball. You know, that was one of the storylines we're going to get to here. The Yankees being terrible, the Yankees doing anything is good for baseball. It's like the Cowboys, right? They just have to show up and have a logo and they're going to be important to the media. But it, that that's a big storyline. But I think the, you know, the Phillies faltering down the stretch was no good for the, for the mass fan. The TV network stuff, which I think we'll touch on at the end here, was a disaster and may get worse. So your average fan may not even be able to watch baseball in the coming months, which is not obviously great. Uh, your thoughts, though? Yeah, I think there was a sort of NBA uh, situation where a lot of transactions happened. The Mets yeah. faltering. They had to do some trades. Um you know, the, the signings, the, just the conversation of Otani, you know, Judge having signed in the offseason, uh, you know, NBA kind of feel because that's where, where I live with Keith. And, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see more of, the, of that happening in Major League Baseball mm-hmm. on top of the rules changes, because I really think the rules changes as far as the pitch clock and speeding it up and, you know, the average fan wanting to jump in and watch because it was only two and a half hour game instead of four. So I think that has helped, but from a financial and, you know, roster construction standpoint, I'm hoping we see more of this in 2024, as far as, 
you know, transactions, trades, earlier trades, you know, teams trying to jockey, especially knowing that where the Dodgers are going in 2024, what teams are actually going to make moves and which teams are just going to stay on the back end. Yeah, I'll say I'll I'll piggyback off that a little bit and keep it kind of close to home. Um, I do think we're headed down that path. Um, certainly, we've seen the Otani contract, the Yamamoto contract, and the Juan Soto trade. Those are those are three powerhouse moves for what has otherwise been an unbelievably slow offseason to date. It's not new for baseball to kind of peter into things until January. That's sort of how things operate. But those are three really, really big moves that unfortunately didn't really move the sports needle too much because the NFL is still a thing and the NBA is still a thing and et cetera, et cetera. But the, I think we're in a good place and I'll back it up with a little bit of data. We had eight taxpaying teams in 2023. That data has now officially come out. That's exceptionally higher than most, right? We had six in 2022. That was already a good sign. Pretty much every year before that, three teams. Yep. You had three teams going in on it. Most of the teams got themselves out of tax trouble at the trade deadline. To have eight stay over tax, and maybe only six wanted to be there. The two at the, at the and seven and eight probably could have got themselves under, and and maybe are kicking themselves on a move and a half or so in August. But to have eight is a really good sign for baseball. For you know a podcast here that has been bitching and moaning about the lack of effort with a lot of teams. I, I can only say good things about that. That's eight teams that essentially maxed out their franchise financials in 2023. And most of those teams should be in the same boat in 2024. I don't think you're going to see too much drawback though. The Padres have clearly already started that process. I, even if they do, even if four of those teams decide, all right, we, we went as far as we could go in 2023. We have to dial it back for a year. I think that's healthy. That's how the NBA operates for the most part, isn't it? you got three or four teams that every year don't give a rat's behind about money in the NBA. But there are a lot of teams because there's rules, right? Because <laughs> they have to, who push, push, push for maybe two seasons and then take two years off and then push, push, push back and, and kind of work cyclically. If that's how the majority of baseball teams are going to operate now, I'm all in because you're going to start to see transactions. And by the way, that ripping it off and, and dialing it back, that means trades. That means selling major pieces to other teams so that they lose that payroll. So to me, it's all good news. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where things are headed. And that's why I think one of the bigger storylines, you mentioned the rules, far and away, the rule changes are the top storyline in baseball. I don't care who won the World Series. I don't care how much money Otani got. That may have changed the game forever for good, right? That that's a big, big deal. But I think this new CBA as a whole is in is like a one A because as you know, for all the things I think they omitted and missed, and we've talked about that, it seems like it's been at least initially a positive step forward for the baseball, financially speaking, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. The uh, them knowing the rules as far as the you know the the luxury tax thresholds and that they can plan accordingly. And in the NBA, yeah. it's over a three, you know, if you're over th three years out of four, you're over the tax, then you're a tax repeater. Mm -hmm. In Major League Baseball, it's different. Year to year. It's year to year. As yeah. soon as you're below, you reset. So if a team like, um, I don't know, the Phillies, they're over, they, they could rip it off and get back below the threshold the next following year. So, But it, at the same time, that means trading Bryce Harper. 
Correct. Which is fun as hell. You know what I mean? And, and and I like that that initiative has to happen. I like that that's here because, you know, that, that's what it meant for the Padres. They had to trade Juan Soto, you know, maybe arguably the best hitter in baseball. So I, I, I like that that mechanism is now here and teams are starting to react to it. A lot of changes that have been made in the past, baseball's teams, franchises just said, we don't give a rat's behind. We're just going to continue to do our thing. It seems like there's been a kick in the butt now a little bit and we'll see if it sticks, you know? All right, Dan, the Otani contract. It has to be the biggest financial story in baseball. Don't you agree? You know, with the deferred payments, the $2 million per year salary, the $46 million tax salary, everything that comes with it. You know, we've broken it down on pods and in articles and all that fun stuff. And we'll continue to do so because the Dodgers don't appear to be done anytime soon here. You mentioned the super team. I don't know. I, you and I follow a, really, a lot of really smart people in this game and have for a long time. And I know you listen and read daily to this kind of stuff. I, I just think this could be a spectacular disaster. We've seen it in every sport, right? Every, every sport has tried to do this. Baseball, as much as any, right? And you can say the football because it's 53-man roster and... You know, the quarterback is important, but it isn't everything, right? We've seen bad quarterback or great quarterbacks on bad teams not be able to win games. There's a lot of really smart reaction to an injured Otani, a young but literally, you know, zero zero steps on the mound Yamamoto and some aging Dodgers players coming together as the super team and maybe never getting to the finish line. Do you have any concern that this team is just fool's gold at this point? Because I do think this is going to be the storyline that carries the most through 2024. I don't think I'd quite put it that way, but I do still think there's a ton of validity in like that. This is why we play the games concept. Yeah, it, it is baseball. And once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. Um, health wise, we know things right. T- team dynamics can tra- change drastically based on one or two small injuries heading into the postseason. So um, this is not to say that the Dodgers are automatically going to win the World Series for the next five years. But um, I think they've definitely put themselves at the front of the line um, of contenders for a sustainable window. And I and typically these f- giant free agent contracts don't work as you laid out. I I agree with that. I think mm-hmm. you agree with that um, in most scenarios. But as I've laid out in the past, the Dodgers are a really they're different, unique, yeah, uh, beast here in terms of the secondary and ancillary resources they put towards building a team. That's everything from analytics in the front office um, down to scouting, scouting things. One one thing like I that I had like was eye opening to me was just from a scouting perspective that like we just we just think you hire more scouts. What does that exactly mean? Well, what is it? It means that in some cases, the Dodgers have scouts on the back, back, back fields at spring training, and they know other organizations, players better than those organizations know, meaning they've scouted their players harder than their own organizations have. So all I'm trying to say here is at every level, the, the Dodgers have established this well-oiled machine um, to keep supplementing um, younger talent via international, via the draft. Um, and if they, there, there's an obvious commitment to spending, um, to spending on talent and specifically on elite talent. And I have no um, doubt 
that they're going to keep doing that as we move forward. I think the billion dollars they've spent so far is pretty much it in terms of big contracts this year, but um, they're going to be creative every year moving forward. I don't think they're ever going to feel backed into a corner, um, even if they do fill out their uh, roster with some some pretty hefty contracts uh, in the future. But I, I think they're positioned very well going forward. But just to kind of polish off the point, it, we do have to play the games. It is the playoffs, small series, short sample sizes, anything can happen. Um, and specifically next year, I know you've laid out, like, I think we might be a little too excited for the Dodgers next year based on some of the things that are really unclear in terms of Otani not pitching next year. Um, the mm-hmm. health of some of their other starting pitchers, Will Walker, Bueller rebound, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think they're going to be fine, but there are still some question marks to answer before we crown them. Um, the World Series champion of the next half decade or so. Fascinating. Uh, any team that wants to spend like that is is good in my books. Let's put it that way. Um, speaking of which, are the Mets the biggest disaster in sports this year? Well, in some ways, yes. I I am <laughs> going to keep giving them credit for throwing sunken cost out the window in terms of um we'll talk about these a little bit later but um one of my biggest couple of my biggest trades of the year for the mlb was the scherzer and verlander deals Mm -hmm. um they did an about face about a year and a half after they signed a massive scherzer deal only a couple months after they signed the verlander deal um they were able to look in the mirror and say we're going to eat money and flip this thing over quick instead of just saying let's run it we sign these contracts let's play out the string and we'll see what happens so i i i it, it was a disaster and even some of the move i mean like the starling marte contract is not going to age well there's some other preceding moves they've sort of backed themselves into a quarter with Pete Alonso probably. So some of those things, I will totally side with you. It's looking like a disaster. I'm just going to give them credit, some credit here for looking at those two specific contract Scherzer and Verlander and get and eating a substantial amount of money in order to get something back and kind of flip this on the fly. And one thing that's obvious is Steve Cohen is going, he has the money and will keep committing the resources towards getting this thing right. Um, so I like that they sort of press the fast forward on that whole process by moving those guys out. But just to round it off, your point is valid. It's not it's not looking good compared to 10 months ago, maybe when we all thought that they were, um, yeah, you know, easily, easily the team to beat, um, in the NL. So, yeah, I'll add on that. Uh, you know, as a fan looking at it, you know, the Mets fans are pissed because it didn't work, but from a outsider looking in, you know, you guys are more of the heavy MLB, Mm -hmm. But I'm glad to see that an owner at least took a shot at it. You know, there's so many franchises across all sports where we're like, man, look at the Detroit Pistons. Keith just posted an article about it, how to fix them. They're, uh, they just broke a record. We want teams to want to spend to try to win. And at least Cohen took a chance on bringing in those, uh, you know, those superstars. It didn't work out. They ripped the Band-Aid off quick and then moved on. See, I think that's the point. I, I think Dan was p- pressing on that too, Scott. Can you think, and you're in the NBA world more, more than not, can you think of an organization that has swallowed their pride quicker than the Mets just did? 
There, nobody does it in the NFL. Nobody. Nobody. Like, can you imagine the Chargers trading Justin Herbert this winter? They probably should. Yeah, they should. They, they probably should trade Justin Herbert and really completely rip this freaking Band-Aid off. Can you imagine an owner admitting out loud how bad he's messed up or she's messed up to the point of what Steve Cohen just did, trading seven starters, right? Six months after basically signing most of them. That's that's an unbelievably uncommon thing in professional sports in America. It happens in soccer, in Europe, every freaking week, right? They, they, they don't keep guys around a minute longer than they need to in, in European soccer. But to have this, what Steve Cohen did... You know, I hate him for 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 the moves he made to, to to build this team because it was obviously a disaster of a of a of a roster construction. But I love him for the teardown. I love him for. It. I'm looking at forty nine and a half million dollars of retained salary for 2024. All right, which is more than. <laughs> excuse me, the A's and Orioles currently have on their active payroll. All right, that's going to change. Obviously, that's you know that's me being silly in December, but. Forty-nine and a half million to retain money is no joke, all right. And that's the consequences, right? That's dead. That's the dead money, essentially, from an NFL world of what Steve Cohen had to do last July and August to rip this thing down. But the the act of doing so, what four months, three months after, you know, walking into the twenty twenty three season with a hundred win projection and, and the NL East favorite, pfft, nobody does that. So if that's something that that sparks other owners to do that in any sport phenomenal that's fun you want to talk about transactions that's phenomenal <laughs> yeah but it, at least he made the move that's where i'm going at least yeah he, didn't sit he on tried his hands. He it tried. failed and he bailed right exactly <laughs> there's so many franchises that we talk about that sit on their hands and they wait and they wait 10 years to, and they say yeah. they're rebuilding and it doesn't happen uh so if like you just said if it sparks more owners to try it and if it doesn't work then pivot quickly i'm all for that free agent contracts from 2023 we'll, we'll we'll finish up with some baseball stuff and move on here is aaron judge the far and away winner here he's the highest free agent contract of 2023 at 360 um he carried a 10 and a half war i think he missed 25 percent of the season so he probably could have been near 14 or 15 on that war relatively speaking which is insane. I mean, he's, it's basically just him and Otani that can put these kind of numbers up. I think Mookie Betts had one year in that kind of window, but is is that the contract to beat here, Dan? Yeah, I'd say so, unless we want to talk about the Otani um, Yamamoto type stuff. But from the from last, from last year, yeah, yeah, from last year for sure. I think the judge stuff, um, you know, it was the Otani contract before Otani, as in uh, the contract we talked about for mm -hmm. um, two years. So um, I'd agree. Yep. All right. So that one has already kind of panned out and the Yankees haven't even done anything yet, but that's just sort of the, the going rate for having Aaron Judge. Um, Scott, a t which team, I'm going to put you completely on the spot here in a, in a world you don't live in too much. Ready? Which team in 2024 is going to finish the season with the highest tax payroll? We got, I don't know, 14 months before that has to, or what, 11 months here before that has to actually happen. The highest payroll. Right now it's the Mets because of that disaster. Actually, excuse me. It's actually, no, it's the Mets. It's the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Phillies are your top five based on our projections right now. Is it going to be one of those five? Or is somebody going to completely sneak in 
and take themselves to the top with huge off-season slash in-season moves. Can I say the Braves? I, I would agree with that. I, I, have a, I have a side notes here that I started this morning. The aggressiveness of the Braves in November and December when, when everybody else was sitting on their hands is, is something we should all be watching, especially if you're a gambling human being. <laughs> Uh, they are not screwing around right now. They are pissed at how last year finished. They are pissed that Ronald Cunha Jr. didn't, didn't, you know, they didn't serve him better in a year that was just outstanding and incredible. Uh, I have a feeling, and Dan has been talking about this for quite a while now, that they are probably a week or so away from at least one major splashy move, probably for a pitcher, and then it's going to be lookout. And and I think when win totals come out soon. The Braves and the Dodgers are going to be pretty darn close to each other at the end of the day here. So I think that's a pretty solid, solid bet. Dan, where do you live in terms of who's going to be the the, the pot invested franchise for 2024? I mean, the Dodgers are the easy one, but honestly, because of the discounts they're getting here, they're not right at the top right now. Right. I, th- I guess my team to jump in there might be the Yankees. Um, yeah. You think I, they keep going here? I think, yeah, there's still moves to be made. Um, whether that includes an attempt at a Juan Soto extension. Um, they already have a bunch of money on the books. I think they're going to um, try and make an... I, I should maybe say not even walking into opening day, but that's a team that might have to look themselves in the mirror midseason and make a, a, yeah. an aggressive move or two, even if it's adding um, to the current payroll. But I, I think that's right. And again, you know, these tax payrolls don't have to vest until September, right? Or October, the end of the regular season. So... There's plenty of time for moves, but I, I would bet on those two teams pretty heavily that at the end of the day, those are the teams that feel the most pressure to push forward. Um, you know, maybe the Blue Jays get involved here at some point in time. They have been in on all of these major names. We'll see if they can land one of them. Houston's interesting before we move on here to the next sport. Um, Scott, one of the things I want to talk about in the NBA next here is feels like the Warriors are are on the backside of this, you know, and, and you can leave the Draymond mess out of it, but it feels like we're seeing the start of the finish to that Warriors dynasty. It, it, Dan, is is that what we're about to see with Houston? Because there's a lot of upcoming expirings here. You know, Altuve and Bregman are basically on expirings. Um, you know, they've already started to work some of that pitching staff around. I think there's a pitcher to be traded away here in the next couple of weeks. They have a bit of a surplus. Kyle Tucker doesn't seem close to an extension. That's a move that could be made here in the next six to 12 months. It seems like at least this current iteration of the Houston Astros could be on the way out. Does it happen during this season or do you think they can sustain above average top, maybe division winning talent throughout 2024? Yeah, I think they'll be contenders this year again. Um, If for some reason they're not, then tough decisions like an Alex Bregman trade might um, happen. But it sounds like Altuve is like an extension candidate, as in just like a lifelong Arizona, excuse me, Houston Mm -hmm. um, Astro. I tend to believe this is a bit of a transition period, though. Um, Dana Brown, new um, general manager coming from the Braves sounds like he wants to retool a little bit um that doesn't mean they're going to take a step back but um we know the ownership group there um i don't want to say they're cheap but they do try and Mm -hmm. save money where possible um so i don't think that they're gonna get um real loose with the bankroll here if that if you will but um nonetheless 
I think there's some critical decisions to be made in this time period. My gut says that they sort of just ride this out. And if players leave um, at the end on expiring deals, AKA Alex Bregman, or, you know, you have to move pitchers um, in the next few seasons. I think um, that's still possible, but um, for the most part, I think they're going to be contenders. I'll tip my hand here for our win total, our win loss projection pod. Dan, I'm taking the under on Houston. Yeah. So you can already write that one down in Sharpie for me. I just have a feeling. It just feels like we're one year past that living off of the past kind of, you know, lifestyle that Houston has had. Unless, you know, they shake it up with some kind of big move and, you know, go sign themselves a Blake Snell or, a, 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 you know, pulling a, a gigantic catcher prospect, whatever. There's plenty of options for them to keep this thing together, as we saw with Golden State last year, Scott, ended up being the sixth seed after a disastrous start. I'm not sure they're on pace for that this year. All right. Baseball. Um, again, positive year. I'm looking forward to 2024. I feel like it's going to be a, a nauseating amount of Dodgers talk content, you know, because of what they've built up and set themselves up for. I hope that there are other teams that kind of take over by July 4th that we can have real conversations about. Um, But I fear that this is going to be maybe a Dodgers Yankees exhausting year in terms of content. We'll uh, we'll try to change that with some creative thinking over here. NBA, Scott, your neck of the woods. Keith Smith has done an unbelievable job with articles and projections and predictions and breakdowns. And um, you guys have the podcast with the NBA next stuff twice a week. So it's been a big content year for the NBA. If you had to put one sentence into just the calendar year with this season as a whole, what would it be? I I have a couple of, you want me to give you like a multiple choice here? Yeah. Give me some. Yeah. Is it the beginning of the end of player empowerment? Is it the the end of the super team? Is it no end in sight financially? Because it feels like there's no end in sight there. And is it actually becoming a young man's game? I will say C and D. (laughs) Okay. I do not see an end to the financial situation. Uh, Keith and I have talked about it numerous times, especially with the max salary conversation. If the cap keeps going up, the maximum keeps going up because it's based off of 25, 30, 35%. So we're talking in in five, six years, the starting salary is going to be 75, $80 million, depending on how fast this cap rises. And just to jump in, because I know I've talked to Keith about this quite a bit. He, the people that he talks to, you know, just to kind of make sure he's in the right, you know, frame of mind with his projections and stuff are basically telling him we could be rocketing this cap even more. We are, we are holding back on our league salary cap purposefully so that a, we don't have a mess like we had in 2016, but also B because it's just smart business. Mm -hmm. We want to, we want to slow play this process so that we don't have $90 million players and $5 million players on the court together. We want everybody to mature together. So it seems like there's actually more in the tank and they're being intelligent about it. Correct. And in, in the fact that they're, you know, s- smooth capping 10% is the maximum that it right. can even go. Right now, our projection is about four and a half for next year, but it sounds like it could go up to 10. But we're holding firm until the, the league actually says something otherwise. And then part D, yeah, it's a young man's game for sure. Yeah. The, the stars that are starting to come to fruition are the young kids and the league is deeper than it ever has been. 
which is why we've talked about expansion and you know there's so many players in the G League now the G League is the G League for a reason but the fact that all teams are trying to have their their G League team mm-hmm. and who knows in 10 years they may have a system in place more like the NHL and Major League Baseball where they can more willy-nilly bring players up and down as opposed to having you know three two-way players now mm-hmm. but there's so many good athletes um, you know that are young that are coming up that you know which is great for the NBA because they are trying to trend towards the younger age as opposed to the NFL that is more towards the older age. So the fact that these young players, you know, highlights are going on TikTok and YouTube and, you know, kids, kids know who these players are and they don't even watch the NBA. Uh, Yeah. They did a good job also of, of attacking the streaming before, you know, really every other sport got there. They, they, they knew what was coming. They knew that, you know, yeah, their, yes, their cable networks were important. They're still making billions off of them, but they, they were really at the forefront of where this thing was going in terms of all over the place media, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I think it's funny. I was quickly trying to recap the, 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 the Christmas schedule. I think it's funny that the teams that played on Christmas, you know, they're big teams and they all have big stars, right? Curry and LeBron and, you know, Durant and blah, blah, blah. A lot of these teams are like ninth or 10th <laughs> in their current conference right now, right? It's just, you, you couldn't have picked a more polarizing situation where, yeah, you got superstars from five, six years ago, but from a team standpoint, there's a lot of younger teams, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, right? Certainly the Magic. <laughs> who probably deserve that Christmas Day uh, promotion, and that's just not how things operate right now. So, to me, that might be the one mindset that this that this league is still attaching itself to. Right? Is like the legacy players. It's not terrible. Right? LeBron still sells. Steph Curry's never going to stop selling. So, it's still the right approach. But I wonder how 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 things operate in a world where you have to mix those players with. Paolo Benchero and with Chet Holmgren because those guys might win championships in the next three years. I mean, we've talked a lot about this. That doesn't happen in this league, right? You you generally need like a seven-year platform mm-hmm. to get yourself and whatever team that's been assembled around you enough experience and pedigree to get through May and June, which is just an, an absolute slog fest. But I, I do feel like we, we could have an Arizona Diamondbacks situation here soon. Don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Minnesota, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. I said to Keith at the beginning of the NBA season, Oklahoma City is that team that they could be a year yeah. early from what everyone is thinking. And look, they're in second place right now, and they're legit. They, they could make a move at the trade deadline and put them over the hump if they wanted to. An insane or, move. Oh, they, an insane they could move. pick out any player and say, we'll give you seven yeah. first-round picks, and, and nobody could gawk at it. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> The other aspect that the NBA did a really good job, and there's going to be tweaks, but the in-season tournament, yeah. it helps with those young players that you just talked about. Look at Halliburton. He was put on the map this year because the in-season tournament was there. He's starting to get more primetime games. So the fact that you know some of those teams that you know have a superstar but aren't on primetime games, if they end up winning – they may be on those primetime games at the beginning of the season, which rides into the later half of the season here. And, 
you know, people are going to want to watch that player. Bancaro, if Orlando Magic keep on their trend. Um, mm -hmm. So the NBA is doing all the right things. Now, when you talk about the viewer ratingship, which has been the talk of this week because yeah. of, you know, Christmas Day versus, you know, NBA versus NFL, it, it's apples to oranges in some cases because, like we just said, the the viewership that the NFL is tending towards is different than what the NBA is pushing for. So, you know, I haven't seen the Christmas Day ratings compared for the NBA compared to this year to last year yet. Um, but all the teams that were on Christmas Day were all over 500. The first time in like a decade or something like that I saw. So, um, hmm. it, 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 it's a well-balanced mix of adding that in-season tournament. You have your old, older players that are known on Christmas day leading into the quote unquote real season, as people would say, <laughs> because they'll start watching now. And then we get into the trade deadline, which, you know, those are the veterans, the, the middle tiered salaries that are going to get traded. So, um, the NBA, for all that they're doing, they're in a win-win right now just as much as the NFL is. You mentioned the CBA. I, I Like baseball, mm -hmm. I think it is one of the bigger storylines of is. this year. Uh, and certainly Keith did uh, you know, God's work breaking that down kind of before anybody else even had access to it. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion. There's been a lot of immediate reaction to it. And one, I think one of the bigger ones is teams having to prepare themselves for this super tax threshold and, and the luxury tax tier. Um, I don't know. Is there a move that has been made or a move that you think will be made in the coming trade deadline here that will be specifically targeted toward a team that is trying to get away from that super tax threshold? It, it's going to happen, but I'll, if we reverse back to June, Mm -hmm. Teams were already operating and trying to set themselves up. Denver Nuggets, they sold second round picks for cash so that they can acquire the second round picks knowing that they're going to be handcuffed as a tax team. Because once you're at a certain level, you are not able to aggregate players together or your amount that you can use is goes from 125% of salary matching that this year is 110, then it goes to 100% salary matching. So um, the other aspect is teams like Golden State. If a player is bought out in March mm. and they were had a salary that was higher than the mid-level, teams like the Golden State Warriors aren't able to sign those players. Yeah. The Phoenix Suns can't sign those players anymore. So there is going to be jockey. I, I really like that rule. And I, oh, yeah. I want the NFL to adopt it really badly. Um, it stops, you know, it's like, it's like the team, the last place team in the fantasy league dropping Patrick Mahomes before the postseason, right? Yep. That, that, that's the greatest extent of it. But so many times this time of year, we see the NFL contenders, right? The, the Eagles just signed two defensive players. The 49ers just signed a defensive player, right? Players that are getting thrown off of rosters. I like that there's a threshold, financial threshold, that would stop some of the bigger teams from doing that, from adding really valuable players down the stretch. I, I, I think that's a very smart rule that I did not see coming from the NBA. Yeah, it definitely was. All of these rules, as far as the super tax teams, are very smart to you know force other teams to have to spend. The other 
aspect financially in this new CBA that has kind of gone under the radar, which I think has helped quite a bit going into this season, was teams had to spend to the floor. Otherwise, they received a massive yeah. cap hold that stays on the books for the entire year. So it's not like they can renounce that. So teams like San Antonio, they had to spend to get there, um, which is forcing teams to get to that cap amount. So there are no longer teams that have $25 million in cap space going into the trade deadline where yeah. they can just take on dead contracts for a second round pick. So there's going to be more salary matching from that standpoint. So. It's pretty wild, right? Like it's the only league to date where we sit here six to eight months before a new CBA has to be signed and we put together our wish list and they hit like 90% of them, mm -hmm. right? We beg them to stop tanking. We beg them to deal with load management. We beg them to handle the tax threshold. They hit everything. And they hit, like I just said, they hit some things I wasn't even thinking of, obviously, because I'm, you know, I'm not by any means you know, an NBA tax lawyer for, you know, right. So I, I'm, I'm always impressed with the, with the changes they make, the degree and the level and the speed to which those changes are enacted. And like you said, we're already starting to see this tax stuff come to fruition. And I think it's going to drive even more activity at this trade deadline, mm -hmm. if it's possible in a league that never disappoints in January and February. So, um, Get your popcorn for that. That's, I'm sure, what Keith is spending all his time on right now is potential buyouts, trade candidates, and all the works, you know, after his absolute house cleaning article of the Detroit Pistons, which if you haven't read that yet, by the way. Um, am I missing anything else in the NBA? I'm reluctant to talk about James Harden, um, even though, <laughs> excuse me, even though I, I actually think it's kind of important and it's that first point I made to you. Mm -hmm. we, we finally had a team say no. Yep. You know, after a lot of just catering to whatever the superstars have asked for, and we're still seeing plenty of that. I'm not saying that's gone, but we finally had a team say no to, you know, James Harden's not a top 15 player anymore, but he's, an, he's a pretty important player and he has done very nice things for the Clippers since he's been added to them. Does it mean anything or is it just because this is James Harden? You know what I mean? Like, is there carryover in 2024 because of what happened here, Scott? I think it's just because it's James Harden. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say, I'll add on to your point with the player empowerment. We are starting to see teams push back a bit. I mean, the Fred Van Vliet contract, he had to have a player or a club option in that third year. So we're seeing teams structure their contracts and mm -hmm. not just giving, we're going to give you a full match. Oh. We're going to give you a player option. We're going to give How about the Zion match. conversation? The, the, the Zion conversation. I mean, absolutely. talk about a team putting the clamps down. Correct. <laughs> I mean, it's, and, and it's a similar conversation to... Uh, you know, Jonathan Isaac, the Embiid contract, this was even a little bit more, you know, in there as far as, you know, missed yeah. games. Now they're non-guaranteed. There's triggers that can bring it back. Um, but I, I think we are starting to see teams push back a little bit more and say, no, we're again, Fred Van Vliet, Houston Rockets. He, he did get a max salary, but they only said, we're going to give you two guaranteed years with a third club option. We'll see how it works and go from there. You know, I'm glad you, I'm glad that was, that's how you answered that question because I do think the Harden stuff is Harden related. It's James Harden went to China and blasted the league and blasted his GM and, you know, did all the James Harden, Antonio Brown type stuff that, that gets yourself into a situation that he got himself into. But your answer was, 
there aren't teams saying no necessarily. There are teams using creative ways to structure contracts, something the NBA didn't have for a long time. And it's starting to catch up more and more and more and more as Keith is breaking this down for us. But these are starting to look and smell a lot more like NFL contracts to me, Scott, right? Where there are thresholds, there's per gamers, there's injury guarantees. There's all sorts of stuff that the NFL has hung their head on for a lot of years, which has made my life an absolute living hell for 15 years. It seems like the NBA is starting to trend in that direction and players can really do nothing about it. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, if we go back to the Kevin Durant contract from a couple of years ago, they built in like eight levels yeah. of incentives, but they were all likely to be earned because it was if the Nets make the playoffs. Or yeah, the Kyrie team. had it too. Yeah, the Nets Kyrie did this too. quite a bit. Yeah, and then you go to the other side of the New York Knicks. They structured contracts of two years with a player or a club option for like five or six players. Yeah. So, you know, it just depends on how the team wants to completely operate, but we are starting to see more of a shift from, no, we're not just going to give you all the player options and the trade bonuses and all the bells and whistles. We're going to pull back a little bit and be smarter with the money that we want to do. Maybe we'll give you the max, but it's only going to be for two years. I'd love that. I'd love to see stuff like that start to come in. It's going to have to, because we're, we're approaching 70 million a year mm-hmm. and that's just too much. It's too much for any any human being. I don't care if you're worth billions and billions like these owners are. I know they are. That's a hell of a lot of money to invest in one player for one year, fully guaranteed, no strings attached. You're going to start to see strings everywhere across the league, right? Especially with when the LeBrons and the Stephs are out of the league. You know what I mean? And the next iteration is fully here and you don't have those big top dogs sort of looking down and everybody saying, no, 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 that's not how we do things in here. Once those guys are gone... Chris Paul, LeBron, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. And the older regime is out. I think the teams are really going to start to take this thing over and structure contracts that benefit them more than they ever have in this league. So that would be maybe one of the bolder predictions I'd have for the NBA starting this, you know, starting more and more this offseason that, that would carry through for the next decade or so. Yeah, I would agree. And which player is going to be the the, the guinea pig? Tom Brady of the situation where yeah, yeah I can take seventy, but or an Otani uh, for most recent, I can take seventy, but I'll take fifty because it's yeah. still a crap load of money. But I want my team to be able to spend uh, a little bit. But again, the rules in the NBA are totally different with bird rights and acquiring and being over the cap and all that. So yeah. It, a player may just say, give me my money and we'll figure it out from there. But the trade part that is going to be the interesting, yeah. because I mean, we were talking about how, how is anyone ever going to trade a John Wall or a Russell Westbrook or <laughs> yeah. a, a CP3 back, you know, five years ago and look how many times they've been traded. But so uh, it's going to be interesting <laughs> over the next five to eight years as these, uh, the salary cap continues to go up. We had a bunch of really nice extensions. You know, the Jalen Brown one is suspect, but that team is, I think, easily the on a path to a championship here, barring any unforeseen instances. Is there one storyline that stands out the most to you? Dame Lillard picking Milwaukee. That's interesting to me. Well, not so much picking, being sent to to, to Milwaukee. That seems to be at the top of the NBA list for me. You know, the Phoenix stuff and how that's all kind of working out or not working out, I guess is fascinating to me because they're taking, I don't know, a lot of junk from other teams and trying to make it all work with a lot of money. And, you know, the Clippers are, are on their path. To, to, to me, all of this is great, but I, I, I foreshadowed this. I, I think the decline of the Warriors is still the conversation. 
the Draymond stuff. That that's going to be a story that we're going to be yeah. talking about. It's going to ramp up more and more if they it don't is. get into the top ten yeah. here, and I don't see what, that happening. What happens with Clay? They right. offered him an extension, but he didn't take it. So now, what happens with Clay? Do they trade him? Do they just sign him in the off season? Keith did a piece on breaking down all of that, mm-hmm. uh, those options. What happens with Draymond? Is he on the team? Do they trade him? Uh, you know, there's no point with- where they trade Steph Curry ever, right? I can't say never. Maybe 99% chance. I mean, he's a lifer for yeah. Golden State, but you know, his salary is going to be up there too. The the young kids that they have really hasn't worked out for when they had those two, those blip moments and had high draft picks. It really hasn't worked in that is, aspect. You know, moving off of Jordan Poole to bring in Chris Paul. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, they're going to be a team to watch, especially with. Uh, their luxury tax situation, their bill is $188 million right now, which slowly goes down with every suspension or with every uh, game suspension that Draymond hits. But, you know, the the Phoenix Suns and the Warriors are super interesting conversations. But yeah. I'm going to say the, the Phoenix Suns for the fact that they were very similar to the New York Mets that we just talked about. Yeah. The owner came in, guns a-blazing, made the trade for Kevin Durant right away. Uh, they have Booker signed long term. They gave him that max extension. Traded Aiden, traded. acquired Beal. Yeah, man. Jesus. So it's very similar to the Mets. And so it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening with that because Beal has had, what, five, six games total in his career with the Phoenix Suns right now. Um, so, and they're in the 10th seed playing tournament or the, yeah, the, the, the playing games right now. So, uh, what ends up happening with the Phoenix Suns? Is that owner going to, rip a Band-Aid off and try to flip any of those players as Cohen did? Or do they play the long game of, no, we're, we want to see how this works. We want to, you know, it, it, but the young kids are there. If you look at the standings, you've got Minnesota yeah. and Oklahoma City at the top. You've got uh, Anthony Edwards. you got Chet Holmgren, SGA, um, yep. you know, Sacramento's in the fifth seat. So it, it's it's that turning uh, turning of the tides here as far as uh, how the teams are flushing out, at least in the West. Yeah, the uh, the number one and number three tax teams in all the NBA heading into 2024 are 10th and 11th in the conference, respectively. So I think that is certainly one of the bigger financial storylines to watch as we uh, flip the calendar here. All right, Dan, let's do it. We're here. It's time for the NFL. Um, obviously, ratings-wise, and certainly with our numbers-wise, as Scott has kind of uh, buried the lead on with, with us here early on. The NFL dominates. Wherever it goes, people follow. Um, I'm going to give you, just based on Track's trending numbers, the top five most viewed players on Track from the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, which shouldn't surprise you because of who he is. They're coming off the Super Bowl. Andy redid his contract. Kirk Cousins being number two is a story. All right? Because Kirk Cousins didn't redo his contract. He's on an expiring contract. There was a lot of talk about of an extension, certainly with us. He's going to be a free agent, I think. He got injured. But this is Netflix, right? I think it's this a is the quarterback. of Netflix and the trade talk. Yeah, I, I think this is Netflix more than anything. And we'll get into the next Because it's not like we hammered on Kirk Cousins. I mean, I had a couple of article projections and things like that. And, but th- this is 
This is Netflix. This this is the power of Netflix, like it was last year with certain things. And I think they're going to do tennis right here in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty powerful. Kirk Cousins more views than Travis Kelsey, who's number three on this list. And obviously, we know why that's the case. And it ain't because he's catching twenty five touchdown passes. Um, Dak Prescott four. We've already talked about why he's there. And Aaron Rodgers five. Dan, is Aaron Rodgers being traded to the Jets the biggest NFL storyline this year? Not including Taylor Swift. I mean, it probably has to be, even though I'd hate to crown him the champion because that's, <laughs> of exact, anything. that's exactly what he wanted in all of this. So, um, But yeah, I mean, it kind of dominated the headlines. The, the reason I would put it there is like the whole fact that he got injured yeah. After one series too. And so all the off season, everything that yeah. was hyped up, all the um, anticipation for Jets fans and the Jets season basically came crashing down in about uh, five, five actual life minutes. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers March through August was basically like an SNL parody of the Mets season, <laughs> right? Like, like, all right, it's going to be really expensive to do all these things. I just want a, a fresh start. You know, I think the Jets can actually win this division. And then four minutes into the season, it all comes crashing down with an Achilles. So um, it is a story for me, not just because of who he is, where he went, um, the legacy he has, but also the, the financial part of it was somewhat historic as well, right? The dead cap that he left behind, how he restructured his contract, which I know we don't want to praise the guy, but he he probably needs a little bit more credit for it, to be quite honest. I don't want to bring him into the James Harden conversation, right? Because that is what James Harden did with the 76ers when he was acquired by them last year. Um, he took about a $31 million haircut. It's got 13, 13. $13 million haircut. Rodgers took a little bit less than that and, and spread it out over a couple of seasons. But uh, I mean... For those of you of you out there who haven't read my quarterback piece yet, and you know, buyer beware on that one because I had some fun with it and took some liberties. Aaron Rodgers has an, a seventeen million dollar cap hit with the, with the Jets next year. All right, he's going to make thirty eight million dollars, but it's only it's a seventeen million dollar cap hit. That is like twenty. That's like two thousand eight stuff for a starting quarterback in the league, especially one with his his history. So, um, what he did here monumentally helped the Jets out. They're going to be able to now go out there and probably put together a better offensive line and some weapons for him to play with next year. So I don't think this story is completely done, but it might be, right? It might it might be dead on arrival. And that might be the most, most interesting part about it is that after all this riffraff, after all the what will the Green Bay do with him, we finally get some resolution. And now we literally have zero clarity of where this is going one exact year later. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, it sounds like they're going to give him every opportunity to run this thing back with the coaching staff and all the weapons he asked for upon arrival. I, I don't know that it's going to make any difference, but it still to me is the story. I, I, I got to throw this one in as a one a, because it, I don't think it's just recency bias, but can we talk about the Russell Wilson situation right now? <laughs> because uh, you know, I think this time last year when we were all doing this review pod, Russell Wilson being traded from Seattle to Denver might have been our, I, I'll have, I have to go back. That's probably our NFL storyline, right? Yeah. That has to be it. Mm-hmm. And now here we are in the 2023 year in review 
And we find out 12 hours ago that two months ago, Sean Payton approached Russell Wilson after he beat the Chiefs October 29th and said, hey, come on here. I want to talk to you about your contract, right? See this thing right here where 2025 becomes guaranteed next March? Yeah, we don't want that to happen anymore. We, we just want to, we want to kick that the can down a little bit so that we can have you this year. We can maybe have you next year, but we don't want, we don't have to worry about 2025. And Russell Wilson basically flipped them the bird and said, no, we're not. I just beat the chiefs, man, <laughs> in a year where you probably should be getting fired right now and said, no. And it's been contentious as hell for two months. And now he's benched and he's benched for some bad play. I mean, the whole team has sort of nosedived, but he's benched because of his contract. This couldn't be a more relevant story in a bigger mindset. This guy's got $85 million of dead cap last year, next year, and $39 million fully guaranteed. And if he's on the roster March 17th, another $37 million becomes guaranteed. That's, of course, the, the best theme we were talking about there. They're going to buy him out before that $37 million kicks in. I don't know that we've ever seen this. We've seen big buyouts in the NBA, Scott, right? Have we ever seen a $40 million buyout in the NBA? No. no? no. I mean, Blake Griffin was big. John Wall was... There were some big ones. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. I, I don't know that we've ever seen $39 million, but that's, that's what's about to happen here, all right? He's about to be handed $39 million to walk away, and they're going to split $85 million of dead cap between the next two seasons so that they can have a better handle on the quarterbacking position with Jared Stidham and I don't know. I put Trey Lance on the roster last night just to be an asshole, right? That was my prediction in my, in my article. I, get, I, may, I have him acquiring Trey Lance from the Cowboys for a seventh round pick because I, I don't know that there's even a better option out there for them. Um, I mean, it's going to be Taysom Hill, right? That's going to be the, the salt on my wound, right? Come on. Let, let, me, let me throw that out there right now. It's going to be Taysom Hill. Um, but this is a mess. This is... If you, if, you, if you start with what they had to give up, give up to get him, you know, a quarterback, a defensive lineman, and a tight end, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a fifth-round pick, and then they handed him that extension, they're going to be paying him $124 million at the end of the day when he gets his $39 million buyout. That's just, it's just an unbelievable story. It's unbelievable, you know, and it's, it's crazy if you're a Broncos fan. It's crazy if you're a football fan. But if you follow the game like we do with money, money first and everything else second, business before football, this is the story of the year. I mean, this is it. It has trumped Aaron Rodgers in the matter of the 24 hours. And it's only going to stick with us because they're going to designate him a post-June first release, March 16th, probably. And then he's going to have to stick on their books until June 2nd. And he'll probably have already signed on a minimum somewhere, Atlanta or Tennessee or somewhere. So this is going to be going on all year, all off season, starting with, you know, yesterday when the news broke. I don't know why they would do this now, first of all. Why would this come out right now? You know, why would you do it? Why would you bench him? You know what I mean? Why wouldn't you just let this thing ride out? If you're gonna if you're gonna take the eat, take the heat. But man, can you imagine? the team that you follow torpedoing itself before Halloween in a situation where you're starting to ramp up and actually play some good football because of money. And now look what's about to happen. It's just, I, I just can't think of a more polarizing story that combines the business of football and the football itself, because I'm not even sure this makes Denver a better football team. That's the crazy part. 
is you're going to have to go through all this mess and you're probably the same team tomorrow that you are today, which is just wild. So I don't know. There's a lot more positive stories to get to, Dan, but if you have any thoughts on that, uh, please, I, I, I could not focus on that, you know, 24 hours later here. So go ahead. No, no, I, um, it, this was definitely uh, a popular pick last year when we did this yeah. segment um, for the reasons you laid out. Um, I think the most egregious part of this was the money from our standpoint was, I mean, they gave they gave up a big package to get him, but then they handed him the extension before needing to, before yeah. he even stepped in and played it down. Let's be honest here. He demanded it. Fair. As part fair, of his trade, right. his agent and Russell Wilson demanded an extension in order to go to a new team. Right. To waive his no trade clause. But that when, happened. But when we that zoom happened. when we zoom out, you really have to ask organizationally if you have any um faith in them being able to move forward in the right direction. I mean, even going back to um like the the Russ stuff, obviously, but um the Nate Hackett stuff, yeah. the, that hire, which was seemingly done to lure Rodgers, that didn't work out. So like the direction of this franchise in general could be questioned a lot um in the fact that they are now attached to this historic um backtrack move, um, I think is is somewhat appropriate. Um and, and you can say what you want about Russ. I'm personally rooting for him to land in a nice spot next year and just prove, um, you know, at this point of his career, he's probably more of a game manager type, but um, in a better situation, a less toxic situation. Let's not forget um, there were reports that Sean Payton literally said that your seat is very hot the minute he walked in the door there. <laughs> um, so it's kind of hard to imagine him having succeeded under those circumstances in any situation. Um, if he goes to like, let, let's just say the, the Falcons or a team like that, who has a lot of pieces around them may just need a veteran type presence to step in um, and, and lead them forward. Um, maybe something like, I, I would like to just see him land on his feet in a place that is way, less uh okay 100 fair i don't think russell wilson has done anything wrong here including demanding that extension that you know i hated the second it happened i I think that we have to stick to our guns here though right because we've just spent 45 minutes trying to praise other franchises for getting out of messes that they need to get out of as quickly as possible right the mets to some degree some of these nba teams scott that's what denver's doing this is unprecedented but it's also incredible. You know what I mean? There are 31 other franchises in the league who would have kept Russell Wilson for two more seasons because that's what the contract says he's supposed to be here for. He's going to he's already guaranteed next year, and there's an early vesting guarantee in 2025. He's just going to have to be here or unless we can find a trade partner, and that's how it's going to work. The Broncos are bucking that trend. All right? They are saying, screw this. Screw the hard salary cap. We don't want this guy to be our, the franch, our franchise quarterback anymore. And we're going to use money and salary cap space to get rid of it right now. It's not good business, but it's incredible, right? I mean, it is incredible that they are simply not waiting around. And that, you know, like I said, I'm not sure they're better. And they have a lot of work to do to, to prove to me that they're going to be better. But I, I can't praise Steve Cohen for doing what, we, what he did with the Mets. But then crap on the Broncos for making this move assuming that they're going to actually release him in March. I, I just don't know if they're, they're better off. That's all. Uh, so I want to make sure that's out there, that this is, this is something I would love to see. Every, I'd love to see Arizona trade Kyler Murray right now, you know, and select a, a, a new quarterback in the draft that they think are, are, is a better fit for their new regime that didn't draft Kyler Murray originally and go through all those hoops to sign him and blah, blah, blah. 
I'd love to see that happen. I know that 99% of the organizations out there won't make big moves like that. Denver's making one here and they are paying for it and they're going to pay for it for the next two seasons cap wise. But I have to applaud them for that, I guess. I think my counterpoint is that I just simply have no faith in their their compounding moves have created this mess that they're in. And um, I guess I'm hinting towards there probably needs to be a front office change there in some degree. Like I'm talking about things like trading up for Marvin Mims, who literally couldn't get on the field for you two plus years of Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton trade talks that have basically tanked their value, stuff like that. Um, where it's just like move after move after move. It seems like they have handled it all as poorly as possible. And I just don't know, like I, I will give them credit for looking in the mirror, noticing that they need to just move on. But like is it Sean Payton I mean I know he just stepped in the door there but I'm just trying to point out that there is a track record of sort of bad precedent that led up to this point and I'm just a little bit um skeptical that they're able to turn it around quickly does the Broncos GM make it to March that that's what I think my my overall next question is is if you're moving on from Russ are you moving on from the general manager and from the reason Russ is here right and is Sean Payton then your general manager or like what uh sort of insulation does he have from personnel decisions i'm I'm not really sure how all that develops in the next six months here but i think that's something to talk about i'm, I'm gonna interject here i find this super interesting we did not plan this but the conversation that we've had is owners that I are know. new that come guns ablaze and want to make moves and screw the pooch in, in the back <laughs> So I know every single, I know every single Balmer, right? It goes, it's everywhere. And we've had so many sales across all of these franchises over the last few years that if you're a new billionaire that is going to want to come into one of these top three, these leagues, buyer beware or slow down, at least don't come in guns a blazing (laughs) because holy cow. I mean, even going back to last year in the NBA with Rudy Gobert trade, it almost looked like a complete disaster. It was a get my name on the, on the map move. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And they've sort of turned it around here, uh, you know, with them being the number one seed, but it's almost like this whole conversation that we've had is owners coming in guns a blazing and it, should they pull the bandaid off now because, or, or hold off? It's fascinating because we didn't even plan to have this kind of conversation. It sort of just no. came that way. And, and I, I slept on it thinking, am I bringing, is it just recency bias or is this really huge? And I woke up and looked at my social media feeds and realized, no, this is, this is the biggest, this is probably the biggest, the most impactful social media I've done all year yesterday, right? With Russell Wilson and breaking down these numbers and where this thing is headed. And we don't even know the end game yet, right? Like it's, this is it. This is the story right now. So I, if I had to rank anything we've done over the past hour, this might even surpass Otani because of the complications of it. You know what I mean? The Otani stuff's wild and the deferred payments and all that is really, you know, messy, but this, this is messier. This is because of the trade. It's a trade. It's an extension. It's a cut. It's, it's a two-year dead cap t- hit. It's so many draft picks that have been lost that isn't going to allow them to replace the player that they're about to cut. 
it's a mess. And then, of course, you've got Seattle and all this just absolutely cheering in the streets, right? Like, what the hell? Yeah, and it, well, it's, it's, similar, <laughs> it's a similar conversation with with what happened with Rogers that we just talked about. Well, the, the yeah, extension, yeah. then it didn't, you couldn't, and then the, the dead cap, and then they get. I treated. mean, if Jordan Love was going to be a Pro Bowler, it would be a little <laughs> bit easier to swallow. Right. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. Similar <laughs> with the complications of all the things that went on, trade him, then renegotiate, and all of that. I mean, this has gone on for like two to three years as well. I can literally remember me and you having this conversation, theorizing what if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams land in Denver and that was preceding all of this rest stuff. So like we've been talking about the direction and quarterback situation in Denver for like three plus years. And oh, is, way more than that, dude. Right. I mean, so many misses from Cutler to Simeon to Locke to like, you know, and this was supposed to be like their their home run. Right. We're that, finally going to figure this out. That's the thing is that when they did this, certain people thought this was them finally figuring yeah. it out at quarterback. But based on the contract they gave, I think you originally said this this is already a half step back when they thought that they were they were taking a giant step forward. Yeah. So I, I think yeah. it's kind the 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 duration of how long this has um been a top story for us and it should probably be going for I mean, you can bring in the Nate Hackett stuff with the Jets then and and how all of this has like kind of had a <laughs> ripple effect to multiple other organizations as well. So who's the week one starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos next year? TBD. The Taysom Hill thing is just going to haunt my dream. So you're welcome. Yeah, thank you're you. welcome, everybody. <laughs> um, it's probably Stidham because uh, I just don't think they have the assets to do anything else. Um, but you know, there's a world where Sean Payton wants to reunite with one of his old buddies who can fill in in special teams and play so, a little tight end and maybe throw some passes every now and then. So it's possible. I'm not going to lie to you. I may be having coffee with his old agent tomorrow. Well, maybe I'll talk about it a little bit. We'll see. Um, <laughs> anything else? Let's let's go positive. I, there's obviously a positive, a positive story, and it's at the same same position, right? There's a there's a Brock Purdy discussion here that that should be had. Um, and here's how I want to have this conversation with you because it's going to be different than pretty much everyone else. Uh, he's not the MVP. I'm fine with that. Um, He's definitely good enough to be a starting quarterback in this league. Let's just lay that on the table. That's where we are right now. Should Brock Purdy be eligible for a contract extension right now after 2023? Because he's not for another calendar year as a late round pick. Got to to play three years in the NFL before you can be extended. But he's in a situation where he basically started at nothing and continues to make that nothing now for one more season, even though... He may be a Super Bowl winning quarterback and was seriously in the MVP conversation for much of this season. Yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes as far as from a CBA standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the NBA, first rounders can get their they're locked into their rookie contract and their extension eligible after three years. Second rounders Whenever. Not, well, they it's not whenever. They still have to follow the rules for extensions, but it's not it doesn't have to necessarily be the three years because they're locked into four with those, you know, two plus two club options. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm which is the right mindset. Correct. The first rounders are paid well, well enough to where teams should be able to lock them in and then make a decision. But everybody after the first round is sort of just running rogue, right? Running out there. And 
it, the value is too much. It's too much, right? We've had conversations, Dan, in Major League Baseball where superstars are making $700,000 for four seasons, three seasons, and teams are just banking off this, right? Getting 75 home runs out of a, mil, of a $1.5 million cash, right? It, that's starting to get fixed a little bit in baseball because there's no rules. They can do whatever the hell they want, right? Well, NFL has rules. And in the fourth year of a rookie contract, there is a performance boost, a performance bonus. So a guy making who's supposed to make 800000 can actually make, you know, $1.9 million, $2 million if he qualifies based on playing time and such. Like, you know, it's, well, that's not where Brock Purdy is. Right? Brock Purdy's entering year three, and he's going to make $900,000 next year, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And I just think in this situation, there should be something in place. Should he be eligible for $200 million guaranteed? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think there should be a way to buy yourself out of this control if you are drafted later in the rounds, not in a rookie contract that has guarantees or any kind of financial structure at all, you should be able to, to earn yourself a way into a better th- year three and year four. And, and, and you know, not something that crushes the team and the salary cap, but just a better situation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in the NBA, they have their rules where if you're a veteran extension, you can go 140% of your previous salary or... You know, there's the the threshold of the average salary that gets thrown into there for certain rights. So you could easily do something like that in the NFL, where if this is the calculated average salary, they're allowed to do 120% of that or whatever metric that would get negotiated. Yeah. But you could easily throw in some kind of, uh, you know, rules based for anyone rounds three and back or two and or mm-hmm. where, wherever you would want it to be, just to allow those players to cash in a little earlier than if you were a first round pick because you're locked into way better money than say Brock Purdy. Yeah, I don't was. think it's crazy. I really don't think it's crazy. Um, I, Cause I just think the value is astronomical here right now for San Francisco. And they are, they are absolutely hitting lightning in a bottle because of it. Well, you and I have been tracking quarterback cap hits versus yeah. Super Bowls and all of the guys, not all, but yeah. you know, majority of the guys, they're, the Russell Wilson. I was just going to say, <laughs> man, that was Russ's heyday. Yeah. It's all these <laughs> super low cap hits because they were in third round or back and, you know, they made a Super Bowl. Maybe they didn't win, but they still made it to the Super Bowl. We could be in a similar situation again yeah. with San Francisco, um, getting that value and allowing you to spend everywhere else except for the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. All right. I just, I, I wanted to take that angle because. I know I know I sound like the old guy right now, right? Yelling from the couch and, you know, screaming at the kids to get off my lawn right now because Brock Purdy's only making nine hundred thousand dollars, you know, with a Super Bowl winning team. But I, I do think that, you know, we, we've talked about how flexible the NBA has been with this stuff, and that's why I wanted to bring it your way, Scott. They've already done this. They've already they strengthened the second round pick more than ever in the CBA. I know that was maybe Keith's favorite thing about the new CBA. Yep. Is now you can guarantee second round contracts. You can extend them earlier. There's so much that they, they don't have to count against the cap initially. So you can carry them and actually have them play with your team instead of being basically like an outsider looking in. There's so many changes they made to the non superstar players from even the draft. Right. They're even taking care of the draft properly. Yep. Here's an example of where, you know, the 49ers should be rewarded with value. They should be. But at some point in time, Brock Purdy should be able to win that value back, financially speaking. He should be able to. I know he's going to. I know I know that if he just has one more season like this, he's going to get 200 million guaranteed. Not and even. That is the counter argument, right? He just has to have, you know, you know, a semblance of this season. 
but maybe not. All right. Maybe not. Maybe San Francisco. Can, can we have that conversation and then move on here? Because I think it's interesting. We've had, we have it every year, but this is the team we always pick to have this conversation about. Why the hell would the 49ers pay a quarterback? Why would they do it? Dan, why would they pay a quarterback? How much evidence do we need that Kyle Shanahan's offense is just freaking plug and play? It's, it's been like six yeah. quarterbacks now. How much, how much do we need? Why would they ever give a guy $200 million guaranteed? No, ever? I totally agree with you. In some of my circles, um, people like when Sam Darnold got in the game at yeah. the end, um, like arm talent, strictly arm talent wise, like it, it didn't really, it was no comparison that Darnold is probably the better ball thrower um, than Brock Purdy in a vacuum. But yeah, I totally agree with you. We've seen them do this multiple times. Like I still think, a healthy Trey Lance could have probably been better than what people have a current perception of him now. Um, right. If we got to see a little bit more time with him in this offense. So um, yeah, I totally agree. They don't, they don't need. Uh, I just feel like you, you could plug Sam Howell in there tomorrow and they would win yeah. 12 games. Yeah. Baker Mayfield, anybody. Right? I, I think, I think that <laughs> uh, that system it, also the players they put around them too is pretty, um, you know, but I guess that's what I'm saying, but, Dan. Yeah. The reason those players are able to be around him is because he's worth $870,000 right now. For sure. And that's not an accident. That's, that's why this is happening. So why would the 49ers ever change that, that philosophy? Why wouldn't they just go and find their next? They should be drafting a quarterback right now, right? Knowing that Brock Purdy is almost going to be eligible for $200 million, they should be finding a, a player that can handle Kyle Shanahan's offense mentally, which is all it takes, mentally right now. So that the next man comes up and they never have to do it. There's 31 other franchises that can't operate this way, but this one can. And we talked about in the NBA how there's going to be a breaking point and somebody's not going to be able to do 75 million a year for a superstar. It's just going to happen, right? There's going to be teams that won't do it, Scott. Well, there's going. To, this is a team that has probably afforded themselves the opportunity to never have to overpay a quarterback. I think it's possible, you know. And I realize I'm contradicting everything I just said 10 minutes ago about how Brock Purdy deserves more money. He does. I'm not sure his current team is the team that will pay him that money is, is what I'm saying, which is crazy. But if ever there was a situation headed into a new calendar year where a team can change the, the landscape financially of how the system works, I, I believe we've seen enough now with Garoppolo, with to some degree Trey Lance, certainly with Alex Smith, and now with this, with Brock Purdy, to know that this is just a whatever we have to get to, we'll get to, you know? And, and the, the weapons are really what matters if the, if the system, the scheme, the speed, and the athleticism is there. It's literally just a point guard dishing a ball off to a bunch of superstars and saying, go win football games. So I, I love Brock Purdy. I think he's talented. I think he would be successful in a lot of other areas, a lot of other franchises. But he is an MVP candidate on this team because of the team. And I'm not sure that that should translate into $200 million. I really don't. So that's, that is one of my bold storylines for 2024 is there's going to be a world where Brock Purdy is eligible for a contract. And I'm not sure his team should ever do it ever. So something to watch for sure. Anything else in the NFL guys, you know, Dak's about to get 60 million a year. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to, um, I have this written down, Scott, real quick for you, the running back stuff. It, it, it may not be a big story anymore, right? I think we're past the point of where everybody's like, holy crap. And the franchise tagged players here in Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley, on paper, on books, in our data, 
it shows that they were extended, right? Both actually got extensions out of their franchise tag, mm -hmm. which is how our data set is going to look for the rest of its life. Those extensions added no New Year's and added no more guaranteed money and added incentives that neither of those players are ever going to earn. And in fact, I have to look again. I think Josh Jacobs is going to make less money at the end of the day here. So it's actually worse than it's ever been. All right, because the franchise tag is there. It's being utilized. That's good money for a player. But now in, in begging to get out of the franchise tag, running backs are actually losing power, <laughs> right? They're, they're literally being told, sure, you will get you off the tag, but we're guaranteeing you nothing. And here's some trickling incentives, but you're probably going to get hurt. So you'll never touch those anyway. Well, it happened to both of them. I, I don't know that we've ever been in a worse state of mind with a position in American sports ever. And you know, you can talk about long snappers and punt, whatever. Great. These guys are winning ball games, right? The Kansas City Chiefs don't win ball games when Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh round pick, is hurt. They don't win. Right? That's how much this this position matters, especially this time of year. So I, I don't know what to say of this. It, it is I I it's completely gone now. I'm not even sure we're gonna see franchise tags for players. I I, I can't even tell you, Scott, a player who I think might get 10 million a year anymore, ever, ever. I mean, McCaffrey's past that point. He's making 12 million a year. He has for a while now. He'll make that again next year on a salary conversion. Who's going to get it? All right. Jonathan Taylor just eked it out, eked it out. But they already hate that because he was hurt for eight weeks immediately after signing the contract. Right. Who's going to get this? Who's going to do this? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Uh, the, the the position has been so devalued, and you know I was listening to Dan Patrick. He had Jerome Bettis on, and he said, yeah. "Would you even be drafted in the, in the top ten now?" And he, yeah. No, I mean it. It's a completely different game. And where I was going to go was last year was the year of the wide receiver extensions. Yep. This year was the quarterback extensions. Yep. And my my question is, what positional group is going to be that next, you know, in, in the spring that gets all these extensions? It can't be the running backs because they're just so no. devalued. And it, I don't know what the fix is. If you are a player in college or in, you know, little league, yeah, you need to make sure that you are not just a running back. You need to make sure you are a Christian McCaffrey can catch the ball out of the back and run it and do whatever else because it, it is a complete position by committee. We see it on in our local team of the Buffalo Bills. Yep. Yes, they have James Cook, but it's been a rotation of four or five other guys that can come in, okay. smash mouth, run when you need them. It, it isn't the... Thurman Thomas, the Emmett Smiths anymore. It's, you know, we're going to have six of you and whichever one we need for this tool yeah. out of our toolbox, we're going to use you. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is from that running back. Okay, ready? <laughs> when we add up the guaranteed money, all right, the, the running back list is good, right? It's Jacobs, it's Barkley, it's DeAndre Swift, it's Tony Pollard, it's Delvin Cook again, Austin Eckler, uh, and then a couple of guys certainly to get released. It could be Elvin Kamara, Aaron Jones on this list, right? It's it's a bunch of starting running backs that are going to be free agents. If we total things up, September 1st, 2024, who has more guaranteed money attached to them? 
all of the running backs signed in free agency or all of the backup quarterbacks signed in free agency? Backup quarterbacks. It's not even close, right? No. I mean, Gardner Minshew might get $10 million guaranteed next year. He might. He might get 20. And it goes He might get 20 million guaranteed next year. It goes to what you've been talking about for the last month with, you know, Brandon and yeah. the quarterbacks, that backup quarterback is going to have to start getting yeah. paid more because they're even almost they're just as important as the starting quarterback because as soon as that main quarterback goes down, a la Aaron Rodgers, you're if you've put all your chips in that one quarterback and he goes down, yeah. it completely train wrecks your season. So, it yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, run us through some financial stories in terms of like sports business stuff, and then we'll get out of here. It's been good. Yeah, it absolutely has. I had a fun time making this list. I mean, probably the biggest for this year was Messi coming to the MLS. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of money that he's going to get, the structure that they are giving him between salary and Apple TV and adidas everything encompassing that's probably the biggest and and it's just going to roll over into 2024 with all of his buddies uh you know signing to play with him in miami for the 24 season Mm -hmm. uh pga versus live golf it's still going on it's going to continue to go on. deadlines in three days scott (laughs) (laughs) Uh, john rom jumping ship going to live golf after not going there in the beginning so that's just going to be a continuation of do we know anything we don't. It's been completely radio silent, right? Yeah, it really has. I saw what about a month ago, PGA, they had in, uh, some investors come in from sports leagues. I think Arthur Blank, if I remember correctly. The Red Sox company, LeBron's Red company. Sox, yes. Which tells me they're trying to get American money, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I would read the, the tea leaves as such. Uh, the third thing that I came up with was the, the media deals. The Apple TV plus MLS uh relationship I, I watched i subscribed being able to watch a game anywhere at any time no blackouts i know for baseball <laughs> you know, dan don't get us started it's, it's a win so i'm interested to see where that goes for other media deals uh nascar they were in a media deal and they added in a streaming component with amazon so that'll be interesting because really interesting to see where that if that market catches up and to they're it. guaranteed five races in the middle of the season. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, the NWSL, they continue to grow. Mm-hmm. They have CBS, ES, ESPN, and Amazon as well. Um, and, and where does the RSNs for you know NBA, MLB, where does all that go? But the NBA is next. So what does that do? Do they... Go to uh, you know cable TV plus more streaming as some of these leagues are doing. Do they go? Does their league pass just continue to grow and they go no blackouts and that is their main hub because they've already included you know watch the fourth quarter for a dollar ninety nine or mm-hmm. you know, so where does that go? Um, Dan, is baseball discussing this at all in your in your neck of the woods? I mean, I, right now the problem is all the local markets are all freaking blacking themselves out, right? I mean, there's they're struggling with just regional stuff. But I mean, has the league itself said anything about its you know extra innings and all and you know the package you can buy? And is there going to be any kind of changes for 2024 that you know of? Okay, so I am probably getting some of this wrong because it's a constantly moving target, and it is even different by each individual media market. But from my understanding. 
Man, Rob Manfred has said that he that maybe he specifically hasn't. What I've heard is they want to do the NBA thing okay. where you can. It's like a pay per view. The ability to pay per view is there. From what I understand, it's complicated. Not only by the RSNs, but it's in by like the individual networks, like Yes Network and yeah. um, SNY and how to involve those teams in that package because they already have a very lucrative privatized um, form of income with that. So in terms of how they bridge the gap with all of that, like from what I understand, the NBA is more like a national, the league pass is for the whole league. So you you can watch the whole league, but if I'm in, you know, I, I live outside of DC, I can't watch the Wizards games. They're blacked out still. So I have because to be able to jump right. on my cable subscription if I wanted to throw them on and I have to go to NBC right. and Washington to actually watch them. Uh, similar if ESPN, you know, I if the the Capitals are on and the Sabres are playing them, I can't watch that. I have to go to the cable subscription. So the, the blackouts are still in there. But, you know, there's got to be some kind of Here's- mesh between the RSNs are there and the, the feed that I'm listening to on ESPN is the Sabres feed or is the, that's the right. wild feed. That's right. So it's already built in. Th- that's what I don't understand. That That's where I want this to go. That's that's the point right there, Scott, is the league should always be the umbrella, yes. right? That lo- that sits on top of all this. So to your point, right, if, you're, if you want to watch a Yankees game, right, wherever the hell you are, whether you're sitting in the Bronx or whether you're in San Francisco on a work trip, you should be able to go through Major League Baseball's streaming app, right? Is it extra innings? What is it called? Extra innings? Uh, well, it's just the MLB TV, but yeah. MLB TV. MLB I should be able to log into my MLB TV account that I have paid for and broadcast the Yankees game through the Yes Network, right? But they handle the connection, right? So I'm, I'm in the software. I'm in Major League Baseball's television software that I paid for. I'm pulling in the Yes Network feed directly every time, no matter where I am. I don't understand why the Yes Network would hate this. I'm still getting the Yes Network's advertising. They're still, they should still be getting credit for the rating because I'm watching Yes Network. I'm just doing so under a different hub, a piece of software that exists that I pay for. I don't understand why that disconnect can't be connected. I, why? I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know from what I understand. It's the divvying up <laughs> of the revenue from the cable portion. And it's specifically with those big markets like the Yankees, yeah. like the Mets, because those networks work in places like that, but it's not for the rest of the league. So I agree that the league has sort of let those entities become bigger than them from this standpoint and how they adapt into those could be challenging but um maybe they have it all laid out i'm just it sounds like the ml to me it sounds like the mlb needs these rsns to be resolved one way or another um and they're hoping that they basically get disbanded so that they can come in take ownership of it all yes and take and take over and do exactly what you're wanting because like for listener perspective um we live in Buffalo. I'm a Cleveland Indian, Cleveland Guardians fan. Oof. We are in the pot. We're technically <laughs> in four different TV markets in Buffalo. So we're two hours from Toronto, yeah. but we can watch Blue Jays games. We're three hours from Pittsburgh, but we're in Pittsburgh's market. Can't watch Pirates games. Three hours from Cleveland in Cleveland's market. Can't watch Cleveland games. We are eight 
plus hours from New York City, cannot watch the Yankees or the Mets without a cable subscription. Um, none of it makes any sense. For instance, the that Field of Dreams game is held in Iowa. In Iowa, they, I think, are part of eight different TV markets and can't watch any baseball game, including the Field of Dreams game, um, I believe, in their market. So they're, they're, it's a big tangled web of, uh, you know, a mess that they need to sort of figure it out. And I'm not smart enough to know or be able to keep up with all of it. But that I to answer your broader point, I'm pretty sure they are attempting to get to some sort of pay-per-view. Um, you know, how solution. much would you pay? To, like, what would be the price per year to have all of this go away? Well, ask me now or ask me in a few years. Right now, I don't really know. Like, for me, who can has to jump through multiple hoops right. if I even have the ability to watch my team's games, I'm which I I'm telling you don't. right now, it, it, what is the price to watch literally every game from every team with absolutely zero restriction? What is that price per year? Um, Like just off my gut, I'd have no pay, problem paying $500. Four ninety nine dollars is the yeah. number for me. Right, that for was me. in my head when I was saying it out loud. Right, and even if you wanted to do like a seven ninety nine per game type of thing, like yeah. if you are out somewhere and not ac- have access, like I think all of that um, is in reach. But like MLB dot com subscription uh, MLB TV subscription is like a hundred one twenty five yeah. I think right so yeah. and I we're saying that I would pay five times more than that yeah. to just be able to watch my team every night when I one hundred and sixty two times exactly. yeah that's right right the, the the Apple MLS subscription if you have Apple TV was seventy nine dollars if you didn't it was ninety nine okay for my YouTube Direct TV what you know YouTube Sunday ticket now. Is like with red zone, I think was like 400, a little over 400 or something like that to be able to watch everything. But still there's blackouts. So if something was right. on CBS, I can't watch that game. If right. it's on Fox, I can't watch that game. If it's a- And considerably yeah. less games. And considerably I mean, baseball's games. schedule is a monster. So you know where this is eventually going to have to go. But the NBA is like 150 for the year or something like that. Yeah. It might be a little less. Blackouts or no? Yeah, blackouts. I can't watch yeah. the the Wizards games. It's I still to watch other it, if I wanted to. If if the leagues are going to continue to do this to us and spread us out everywhere, and that's only getting worse. It's only worse. getting freaking yeah. worse, right? They have to figure this one out. They do. All right, and if it means we all have to pay more, of course that's what it's going to mean. By the way, <laughs> we're all, we're do- we're definitely going to have to pay more, but they're going to have to figure this out because we all want to watch everything. And we're all probably willing to pay for it, especially in the NFL. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody's addicted. It, it's got to get figured out because at some point in time, you're going you're gonna to ruin the product. You're going to stretch it too thin. Especially with baseball, this is a critical time, too, where you just had rule changes, which were largely a success in terms of yeah. um, time saved. It's a better product on TV now. So you need to be able to put it in front you know, there's a ton of viewership issues, especially among young, younger generations. I have a two year old, almost two year old son. Now I want to bring him up watching baseball, but I, I can't turn on my TV any night of the week and watch any baseball game I want. Now I don't have a cable subscription, but even MLB TV on, I have a YouTube subscription, YouTube TV subscription. They fell off of that. So now I can't even watch, I can't even watch highlights on MLB 
dot you know mlb tv stream through you so they have a larger larger issue here in terms of just getting this in front of people's eyes and um i want to hope that the rsn resolution will will kind of um fix a lot of the problems we've been talking about so bold predictions I would just really like to see a quarterback get paid one time in this upcoming year. Um, what? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not sure there's going to be many. Just no. so you know, I've done way too much work on that already. I think it's going to be Dak and, you know, Kirk will get a small little bump up here, I think. And I, I don't, I don't, I've got Baker Mayfield as one of the biggest contracts of the offseason. Is that, am I nuts? Because I just posted that last night for the public viewing. <laughs> um, I, I don't know that it's going to be a big quarterback year, guys. So we better uh, we better really ramp in some with creative thoughts because it's not going to be that kind of year. But uh, what about in the NBA, Scott? What are we looking at? Bold prediction? Non, yeah. Non-financial? Oklahoma, no, you can. Oklahoma City Thunder win the championship. Oh, my God. Then bet it. If you're <laughs> oh, going to say oh, that out loud, then I, bet it. <laughs> oh, I have. Don't worry. I have. Um, Did, do the Warriors break up this year? No, I don't. Not till the off season. Not till the off season. Yeah. I think the the expansion talk is going to ramp up even more in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I, I, that's right. We 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 glossed over that. That's been a big part of Keith's work on Spot Yeah, he, and he's done a really good job of you know talking to people, getting a feel for it. It pretty much sounds like Seattle and Las Vegas. Yeah, where else does it go? We had a a big talk about the expansion with his expansion series and the rules and that kind of stuff. You know, there's at least a handful of cities that want in the NBA right now. So it's not just Seattle and Las Vegas. So the, the fact that Adam Silver every couple months is bringing it up, it's still on the table. We're talking about it. it, it, It's coming. It's just a matter of how many teams and over how many years is it going to happen. But the expansion talk is 100% going to be at the forefront, I think, in 2024. Who's the next American player that's going to win MVP? <laughs> that's a great question. been really thinking about this a lot as I watched the game. Like, man, is this even an American sport anymore? <laughs> it's tough, right? It is. I mean... Ja. I think Ja's got a chance. SGA... SGA's got a chance. Maybe Tatum. Yeah. If he can put together a full season, he he's actually probably has the best chance, right? Maybe Anthony Edwards. Yeah. I mean, like we were just talking about, it's a youth game. So at what point are these youths going to be that MVP? And it's not going to be, you know, uh, you know, a 10 plus year vet. When is it going to be a Derrick Rose who wins an MVP out of coming out of their rookie year, you know, your rookie salary. So by the way, and I'm not saying this negatively. This is not an American sport. It's an American business. Correct. It's an international sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, that league is driven out of international superstars. Which Big is time. why they're trying to expand just as much as the yeah. NFL is right now. Yeah. I mean, they're Mexico, not being Mexico City is a, is a place they want to be. This uh, is why they have games there. This is why G League is going to be there. Yeah. And so it, that expansion not team-wise, but global-wise, continues to grow for them. It was a nice year. 
I think our numbers were where they needed to be, right? And yep. all the greatest greatest players were at the top of our trending list. LeBron's up there, and Tom Brady was not at the top for uh, the you first know, time in. You know, I had years. him on a bullet because he officially retired in 2023. He did. It was a it was the official official transaction, and uh, you know, I think we're uh, we're done with him for now. Um, yeah, first time what ever. Ever. Maybe. As far as we've been doing We were 16 yeah. years old. I would imagine he was a top five player, all 15 of them. At least since we've been doing this end of year. All right. That's a story. Yeah. That's a, that's a finisher. All right. For the first time ever, Tom Brady, not a top viewed player on spot track. Maybe never again. Yeah. We'll see. Things always come back. All right, guys. Thanks.